You're listening to a Galactic Network podcast. For more, go to GNCast.com. We're the Elsers. Hello and welcome to Else Nerds, a production of the Galactic Network. I am not Gregor Sprague, I'm Corey Scott, but with me is Gregor Sprague. And for all info on this show, including show notes, subscription links, you can go to elsenerds.com. And for other Galactic Network programs, you go to gncast.com. On Else Nerds, we are probably going to spoil some stuff. We are definitely going to swear. And this week, I know what our Elsewords topic is, and we're going to drop some shit on you. So let's start it off. Gregor, how are you doing this week? I'm doing pretty good. Um, I got a promotion. Yay. Yay. Um, also, by default, because I'm the only one at Target Mobile at my store. So Yay. They couldn't, they couldn't promote the plant. <laughs> it, it, it's one of those things where they pay you more because they need you to do everything. Yes, exactly. Um, I I get it, but that still rocks. You know, it's still something that you get to say that you got promoted. So next job you go to, you get to list what your position started at and where you you moved up and everything else. It it does show that they put trust in you. Yeah, I, I worked um, at a place called Fat Man's Fish Fry in uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan, and it it is exactly what it sounds like. It was two fat guy owners running in this fish fry place. And I basically went in there and would separate fish that had been sitting in a, a in a bucket and and throw it down the line to the next guy who would bread it and put it into another bucket. That was my job. I got promoted doing essentially the same thing, but it was like that was my first job where I got promoted and it was a big deal to me. And it was overall it was a good job. And good fish. So They're still open. Did you get is it okay? Cool. I was, I was gonna ask that, but did you get promoted to the guy who caught the fish that you separated? No, I've never been it? a catcher. I've always been a tosser. <laughs> and there's the show title, folks. <laughs> <laughs> um, but here, let's get into the news. Um, and the first bit, I I was waiting to see stuff because I saw this on Monday. Um, and I was honestly like at work. I was waiting to see update. Not gonna happen. But the there's talks of a Batgirl movie in the DC ex, uh, extended universe, um, or you know, yeah, the extended universe, you know, the same universe that has Batman versus Superman, uh, the Batman, all that stuff, and it's going to be directed by Joss Whedon. Now, it's not 100% official. He's nearing a deal to write, direct, and produce on the Untitled Batgirl uh, pick for Warner Brothers. Um, but yeah, and there's no one else attached to this at all. There's no other producers, no other... Well, it also came just, out of nowhere. It's not like anybody's yeah. been talking about, hey, so this Batgirl movie we're, we're working on needs a director and stuff. Like, we have movies that have been on the docket for, for a year or two that have gone through multiple directors that don't have scripts uh, that that hands keep changing that people keep saying is this going to happen or not like ain't nobody got faith in a cyborg movie at this point I think but we're getting little hints that there might be a Nightwing movie that there might be some other ones and all of a sudden this drops and this is not just like oh yeah we, we're thinking about doing a backroom movie it's like no no while you're sitting there and you're already saying 
who would who would why would they do a Batgirl movie out of all the care fucking Joss Whedon's attached? Yeah. And that is that is a killer move for Warner Brothers at this time. Uh because Joss Whedon obviously made the Avengers happen. Uh and then went to town helping out with all of the Marvel Universe overall until he got through Avengers 2, uh, Age of Ultron, which was also a huge, successful movie. It, complaints aside. Um, yeah. And got burnout. So it's a big get to get Marvel's huge director of their, their jump in the fucking fire franchise for one. But then yeah. there's the whole other aspect of this is Joss fucking Whedon. People who were proclaiming their God uh, to replace George Lucas several years ago when Firefly was happening and when Serenity was happening. Uh, yeah. This is the guy who did Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which just celebrated its 20-year anniversary and is still considered one of the biggest feminist icons of TV. Uh, he, I was listening to some random channel on my Google music the other day. And all of a sudden a Dr. Horrible song started playing I'm like, Oh shit. Yeah. I forgot all about Dr. Horrible. That thing fucking killed, you know? And that was something he did on his own, uh, when he was again, burnt out he from did. running under big companies. And here's the other part. Cause you mentioned that, you know, Dr. Horrible was on this. He did a fucking Shakespeare movie on a weekend. Yes. Just for fun. Just for the fun. But that that's that's yes. different. Dr. Horrible to me is a big example of I'm burnt out on Hollywood right now or I'm burnt out on working with uh, TV and shit and trying to do stuff under their goddamn rule. So I'm going to do something that's all my own and sell on the internet and make more money than I probably ever have by doing that. And then he goes and he gets back into Hollywood again and he makes one of the biggest success stories in films of all time. And the first big screen superhero group movie, yeah. um, combining all these characters from all these other films and making it work really well and getting people jazz, gets burnt out again by the process, by working with production companies, by working on everybody else's ideas that are kind of like standing in the way of what he wants his vision to be. Uh, we haven't even mentioned Cabin in the Woods, which is another thing that was just kind of like subverted of, hey, uh, we're going to do this little horror movie and see how it goes. You know, not a huge success in the theaters, but one of those things that people have picked up on it and realized that they loved it a lot more as it's yeah. gone along. I, I think that it's just incredible to think of Joss Whedon saying, okay, I'll get back into doing a a big budget film and I'll get back into doing superheroes uh, by going over to what is effectively the competition of Marvel. I don't think that that's yeah. his thought press on, on it. I think it's like they came to him and they said, we're having some challenges with our superhero cinematic universe. We're looking at some new voices. We're looking at some new talent. We're looking for some new ideas, but we're looking for people who we think would be good making these kinds of movies. And obviously you are. And if we have the right property for you, and another thing to keep in mind is Joss 10 years ago was working on Wonder Woman. Yeah. And that fell apart again because he couldn't get agreement with the, the producers on it. And he's just like, fine, I'll just walk away. 
and the and the person who was his choice for Wonder Woman wound up in the Avengers movies. Um, and that's Kobe Smulders. So it's like, yeah, let's let's see if we can get Joss to do this. So it's it's not inked. Uh, everybody who's talked about it has said we're not a hundred percent sure about all of this yet. But nobody who's heard it has said, what a terrible idea. It's yeah, it's it's weird because it's one of those things that makes absolute sense. I'm actually gonna read um Beat's statement he made before Evan joined us. Um, you know, it's you know, he goes, WB's is just as original as always, doing quotes of like two different guys. We need a guy like Joss Whedon was for Marvel. Well, let's get Joss Whedon. Great idea. I mean, it's <laughs> it's that sort of thing. Like, I mean, this is it because I mean, you look if you look at just the DC extended universe um, stuff, they launched with Man of Steel, followed by Batman vs Superman, Dawn of Justice, and Suicide Squad, which won an or won an Oscar. Um, and then they have um, Wonder Woman, Justice League. Um, and then Aquaman all with dates. Like there's times where they're going to be coming out. Um, and some of the things that they've, because they have this big long list of movies that they've got scheduled from now until, you know, what, 2022 or whatever. But that seems like that's, that's falling apart quicker than, you know, a drunk guy pulling out a tile of Jen- or a Jenga tile. And, so I mean, it seems like you know. Okay, let's do this. Let's look at this a different way. Let's let's look at this more like what Marvel did. With we need like what would what get a director? What would he want to do? And all that, like you know, I mean, even the Batman movie is falling apart here because I mean, we went from Ben Affleck writing it, starring in it, directing it to oh well, he's just going to direct it and write and star in it. Um, to oh he's not gonna do um you know he's just gonna star in it to the people going well is he gonna be leaving it and stuff like that and it's just at this time it's like I feel like this is DC really getting starting to get their uh, the right idea here of not focusing on this big you know trying to do this big universe and just go. Let's tell great stories. Yeah, I mean, and that's that's the thing is you have to, if you want to create a cohesive cinematic universe, and I can understand absolutely why you do and why you should and how these things need to coexist. And so you have to take into account, well, if we get a Batgirl, how is she going to relate to J.K. Simmons as Commissioner Gordon, who's being introduced in Justice League this year? Uh, how is she going to relate to Ben Affleck as Batman? How are we going to make this all work and it's a question that you have to say to joss joss we know that you got a little burned out working in an extended universe are you going to be okay with doing this and i think it's a matter of how much carte blanche are they giving him to control of the character and stuff and trusting him that it will work with everything else when necessary but not necessarily in his own movie where he's got to establish his own things now if this comes out fast it conceivably could come out before the batman movie that's being worked on by affleck and johns and everybody else um so it could be more of our first introduction to a lot of the staples of gotham city than 
than anything else. It could be our first introduction to a lot of the characters from yeah. from the Batman universe, uh, other than her dad. It it it's it's important to have someone who has a respect for the original material, who has respect for working with the team, which Joss does because of his his writing in TV for so long. Um, he's always had a huge staple of writers, very talented people that he's trusted and have trusted him and has a good re- relationship with creatively. Um, it, it takes somebody with some finesse. And I, I look at the other rumors are things like Matthew Vaughn possibly taking over the Man of Steel sequel, which would be an inspired choice. And Matthew Vaughn has been critical of the dark tone used on Superman. And he says that's not how he would do Superman. And maybe that's why they go to him because everybody keeps saying, oh, well, Superman's too dark and he's too dour and he's not he's not Superman enough. Well, maybe this is the kind of thing that helps fix that, because if you know, you know, if you got Joss Whedon, you can have dark, but he's going to interject comedy. He's going to interject emotion other than just angst, grit in your teeth, because uh, yeah. he, he doesn't stay in one tone for too long even his his darkest films have lightness to them and and it it it's what makes them enjoyable because it breaks up tension when it needs to be broken up but then it brings attention back when it's when it's supposed to be there um i really want to see this as a positive sign i hope that this happens it was one of those things when i saw the story hit it was right before april fool's day and i was like time zones make me scared for this uh, but i really <laughs> i really want it to happen and and there's been no outright denial, which I think is great. But it's just yeah. it's working in any kind of big company thing like this is always scary and intimidating and tough to 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 dot all the I's and cross all the T's. So I hope nothing fucks it up. We're seeing rumors of of casting. Uh, one of the the big lead potentials. I don't know her, but she's from the hundred on CW, which makes a certain degree of sense. Uh, I don't know anything about her acting, but I think that she could be good. And under Joss's tutelage, she should be great. So we'll see. We'll absolutely yeah. see what happens. I mean, I, I honestly, I hope that this does go th- through with things. Because if at the very least, for like I said earlier, for it to open up um, for DC to see, oh, how do we make successful movies? Get the right director, get the right people involved, not just go by people who have made us, you know, decent amount of money when here, you know, I, I honestly feel like they could be passing if, if they were to just do with, you know, the Zack Snyder, you know, show that they've got going on, um, that they could be passing up on other, you know, great talent that could get stifled because their their vision is so different from his. And right. in this universe that they've set, that they're setting up for themselves, and that they're slowly pigeonholing themselves into. I mean, um, I I certainly I saw the preview for Justice League, and and a lot of people really like it. And I've been I've been pulled in by the previews of of the other movies too. I I certainly bought into Suicide Squad's preview. Uh, I bought into Man of Steel's. Hardcore before we we knew where that was going to go. I didn't buy into Batman v Superman as much just because I knew from previous experience it was the same guy. He didn't seem to change his attitude. He just kept trying to say, "Oh, well, we did all that, 
but because it's gonna it's gonna lead to this better stuff in this movie and everything I saw in that movie didn't look like he had learned his lesson but it's still the 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 trailers look good yeah and the justice league trailer looks good i'm still just not convinced that this guy has changed his stripes uh but i i'm, I'm still hopeful i still i always want these movies to be good i do not want dc to fail in their movies and and dc has made movies that i've i've absolutely loved before over time uh before there were marvel movies to really compete with them I, I don't wish them any will. I just, I really hope that this is a sign that we're getting things that are going to start going towards a direction that I can enjoy as well as everybody else, hopefully. Um, but certainly, Barbara Gordon is one of my favorite characters. They're saying that it will feel similar to Gail Simone's run on the book in the New 52. Now, the words New 52 don't exactly make me feel great, but it depends on what they pull from that. Like, there's a lot of things that can work from that. And there's a lot of things that maybe they could skip over. It's, it's not going to be like 25 issues shoved into a two hour movie. I can tell you that. Yeah. Now I didn't hear that part, but it's all so rumor conjecture anyways. Yeah. And that, I that gets me a little worried because where I loved Gail Simone's run on Batgirl, I loved the, um, Babstar, Cameron Fletcher, uh, I forget the third guy. Um, <clears throat> they're doing Motor Crush now, their run, you know, with the Batgirl of Burnside. I I really like that over it. Um, I like that a lot too. Um, the visually it was very different. Tonally, it was it was certainly different. My big thing is someone someone said this on Twitter today. I I randomly saw a tweet, and that was basically. Uh, I would love to see a movie, a, a Batgirl movie where the killing joke has nothing to do with it in any way, shape exactly. or form and, and maybe never even happened. Um, I, so I, I, I hope that it isn't a movie where we have to deal with the, oh, Jared Leto's Joker was around and shot Barbara and she's just gotten over being paralyzed. That's a lot to deal with. But again, if it's just doing it, I know Joss would do it right. Whatever yeah. that looks to be, uh, if he chooses to include it or not, I know that Joss would be the right person, one of, of the right people to choose to make that story happen and be palatable. So, yeah, good on you, DC. If, if you can make this work, right on. Yeah. Um, our next news story is The Daily Show's Jordan Klepper is getting his own show in the Stephen Colbert, Larry Wilmore time slot. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, so this is something that I've been wondering forever, for the longest time, what was going to happen. Because um, we all know that, you know, The Daily Show has been a huge success. You know, it's, what, 20 years now, I think it's been on the air. Um, Close. Yeah, I mean... And we, with that, we've seen two spinoffs of it, one very successful, one not so much with the Colbert Report, and then the other, the show that wasn't, sadly, wasn't, you know, as successful with the nightly show. And it looks like um, Jordan Klepper is going to be filling in that 1130 time slot um, this fall. Yeah, and, and Klepper's, Klepper's character on The Daily Show 
lends itself more to a Colbert than Wilmore did. Wilmore did his show basically being himself. Colbert played a character yeah. that felt that's what made a difference between what he was doing and what John Stewart was doing. John Stewart, you watched and you got the the very liberal. I don't think I'm I'm speaking out of turn by saying this. The very liberal viewpoint that John Stewart has, uh, which frankly I pretty much agree with most of the time. Um, and then you had Colbert play a faux uh, conservative. Yeah. And 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 do it as a, a caricature that a lot of of conservatives would watch and buy into what he was saying and not realizing the the uh, the humor that was being played there. But Faux Riley, good job, good job, Beat. Um, the the uh, the thing with Klepper is I think Klepper can do something similar because his character is not often serious. He always yeah. seems to be doing this kind of subverting humor-wise from the the back and forth he has with Trevor Noah and what he had with John Stewart when John was still on the air. I'm I'm not gonna say that that Klepper is my favorite of the the correspondents on the show. And and most of the correspondents I, that I like aren't even on the show anymore. Uh, many of them left. Jessica Williams would have been uh, a big choice for me. Either replace John on the show itself or to to have a spin-off. Um Another one. Um, oh, I, I can't even think of them all right now. Uh, my b- brain is blanking. But Klepper is good. It, but you're right. It is too bad that Wilmore's show wasn't more successful. And uh, it's it's hard shoes to fill. It's one thing to say that The Daily Show continues on and it's it's just a new person in The Daily Show's seat. And that itself showed some struggles switching from from John over to Trevor but having someone come in with a new show to replace Colbert I think is probably even harder and Colbert yeah. it took a while to grow on me his show yeah so okay I'm gonna read this quote from the article and this is from the press release Clapper's show will look to embrace and define the chaos of our country by channeling Clapper's steadfast attitude that institutions are to be less, are to be trusted less than the lies of the mainstream. Me- or, oh, did I say lamestream? I meant mainstream media. Um, and he'll be, or he'll surround himself with a hand-picked team of contributors, contractually obligated to reinforce the singular, singularly correct worldview. Um. So yeah, it sounds like this is <clears throat> going to be more Colbert Report, less nightly show. Um, which I honestly welcome, and I do. I think this is a good point or a good thing because where I've been enjoying at midnight, I don't like the fact that a lot of their stuff it seems to be, um, like a little bit like they're forcing a political side on the or a political thing on these. It sounds as out of hand that, as Jimmy Fallon doing it now. Yeah. Jimmy Fallon has been losing numbers, losing stream uh, since uh, Trump's election. And a lot of people felt like he was too soft on Trump when he was on there. And Colbert, since going back to more of his Colbert rapport persona, has been picking up numbers, although not in the yeah. demographic that that makes the most sense to advertisers. But he is gaining uh, for the first time. And so Fallon is trying to do more political stuff. I saw him 
doing a, a commercial the other night where he's talking about the guests we're going to be on. And then he said, and we're, we're going to talk about Trump this in the, in the opening monologue. And I'm like, well, you're really pushing that you can do political. And I don't think you can. Because yeah. I don't think that's a stick. It's a stick. So it, it depends on who it is. If you yeah. have political humor leanings, we can tell. No, yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, time will tell. I'm honestly excited because this, it, it does seem like Comedy Central is, you know, mm -hmm. is testing a lot of the grounds um, for shows in that late night time slot. Um, because I know Moshe Kasher's got uh, something coming up. Uh, <laughs> Corey got a little clamped here. Um, I, I wish I knew had that SNL joke memorized like I used to. <laughs> uh, did you just see Madonna? Is that what happened? Uh, Barbara. Yeah. Gorgeous. Yeah, Barbara, that's right. Gorgeous Barbara. Um, <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I sneezed, and then all of a sudden my voice just said, ah, you know, I'm just going to stop. Um, yeah, you need to have you need to have somebody who can actually run these things. The the people I was thinking of uh, besides, and and yeah, we've got people who spun off from the show, like Samantha B, whose show is fantastic. John Oliver's show on HBO is absolutely great, um, and we've got Colbert on TV doing Colbert Report bits again on his his late show. So it's <clears throat> it's hard to steal away from the guy who started it who's at, on at the same time on a main channel as opposed to a cable channel. It's, it's, it's more of a factor of, hey, if you, if you like the daily show and you don't feel like pressing those couple of buttons to switch, uh, <laughs> stick around for this guy who was just on the daily show not too long ago and, and get more of it. Yeah. So, um, the final story we got for this segment is that, uh, John Lehman, uh, the what the writer and creator, one of the co-creators of Chew, his next creator-owned comic will have a crossover with Chew. It in mind. Um, now there is not a lot here to this article, um, but you guys may may remember that you know because actually I think I talked about this like a couple months ago when the last issue came out. Um, but uh, John Lehman and Rob Gilroy, or G Gillery, uh, they had concluded the creator-owned series Chew, which was about an alien invasion. Um, with the blur, with that had a bird flu that made poultry contraband, and a smorgasbord of food. Powers. I mean, you were. I think you were the person who turned me on to this book. Because you had talked about all the different powers, and you talked about the main character Tony Chu, who was a chibopath, and then explaining that a chibopath, you know, he retains, he gets the memories of anything that he's eaten, um, and stuff like that. And I fell in love with the with this book, um, and so yeah, I mean, I was I was definitely enjoying Chu. It was one of those things that. I, I lost 
my ability to catch up with it. And it is one of the books that as soon as I'm ready to get back into reading comics regularly, that will be one of my first stops um, because it is phenomenally good. It was never a moment of like, oh, I'm bored of Chew right now. It was just I was burnt out on comics overall. Yeah. But this yeah. is this is one of the things, especially because at 60 issues plus a couple of crossover specials, um, it's not a long thing to invest yourself in. There, there are certain books that they're very inviting that way. Chew is one, uh, Preacher, um, Ex Machina, you know, a lot of the Brian K. Vaughn stuff, uh, Why the Last Man. There's a lot of good series like this, but Chew was something special. Something in the way that the art is very cartoony and and very stylized. I, and the, the way the story is, is it's it feels very comedic, but it can get very serious and it can up the the tension easily uh and then every once in a while you'll have fucking pollo uh, who is a cybernetic chicken just beating this shit out of other chickens it's so much fun and and they were working on a an animated property of it at one point i don't know what the status of that is uh speaking of dr horrible felicia day was supposed to be a part of it yeah, no, no, that was actually really great because, and it was something I wanted to see. And f- I, I, if it was released, I have not been able to find it because, I mean, yeah, you know, like you said, so there's Dr. Harbaugh, you know, with Felicia Day in there, but Robin Williams was in there playing. Um, oh, I cannot think of the, the character, not um, the fat guy in the. In yeah. there. It, it, <clears throat> um, it's it's it isn't it it's was gonna be animated so this is gonna be ron williams doing a part in there um I am which may have led to some yeah. of the some of the holdup on it is i think they had to recast yeah. after robin williams uh sadly uh was taken from us um yeah uh and then stephen yun was gonna be tony chu yes it was one of those things yeah. that, again, I, I love the property. I, I'm excited to see anything happen with it. So the the question is, is uh, is this, it, it says it's a crossover built into the new property quite deliberately. Uh, the old property was Chew. Is the new property going to be Swallows? <laughs> Following the uh, bird theme. <laughs> I, I, I was going to go further down the... Uh rental property of food uh <laughs> you know sort of going the other end or something i don't know but i mean i'm excited to see this um i don't know when it's coming out there's not like i said there's not a lot out on this art on this um from where we found you know, you know this on bleeding cool but i just figured hey that'd be cool to mention because people that um you know, have, have been watching us for a long time and we've talked about it and they love it too. Yeah. I mean, yeah and, so. and, and I don't know that Rob Guillory is involved in it. Uh, it's, it's only really talking about John Layman's next series. I, I would like to see Guillory at least have some part in it. Uh, but they, they both are makers of great comics. And so this should be something that if you like comics, it should get you excited. Yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, that's going to do it for the else news and we will be right back. 
If you like what you've heard on this Galactic Network podcast, please consider helping us out financially by going to gncast.com support. On that page, you'll find links to our Patreon campaign where you can make a small recurring monthly pledge of as little as $1. Or click on our Amazon affiliate link, make a purchase, and we get a very small percentage from the sale. Again, go to gncast.com support. And thank you for supporting the Galactic Network podcast. And we are back, and it is time for the Else Views. This is where we take um, the things that we are reading, watching, listening to, um, you know, whatever we are doing, and we talk about them. And a funny thing happened this week. I got caught up on my comic books. Um, So I figured, why not talk about two of them from this past week? And they're the big kickoff books for um, what Marvel is calling the resurrection um, of, you know, in in their universe with the Inhumans and the X-Men. And I bought one book. I bought the Inhumans Prime. And then I I had read uh, X-Men Prime at first figuring, you know, these were going to be ongoings, not one shots leading, oh, excuse me, leading up to the series that will be coming out from this. Um, so the first one I'm going to talk about is Inhumans Prime. Um, this one basically is the setup for um the uh, for Royals, the new book for Marvel, and. It's sort of, I mean, both of these books can really be described as this is, you know, the calm after the storm. The the back to basics is kind of what I see it as. The Royals yeah. in particular, one of the things that's been going on with Marvel and the Inhumans is that they introduced what has been referred to by the fan base commonly as the new humans by yep. dropping the Terragun mists into the, <clears throat> into the Earth's atmosphere and it's been going around now. One of the problems is that it's been any mutants that it's fine. It's it's been killing them essentially, but it's, yeah, been, it's been causing been, it's sterilized them at first. But then there's the thing called Mpox, which just full out kills them in this leprosy explosion or something. And yeah, all that. and and so this is. They've been dealing with this, and there was a a X Men versus Inhumans uh, storyline that just finished up right before this, yep. I think. But yep. so we've been seeing an introduction of a whole new generation of Inhuman characters, including Kamala Khan, who's the current Miss Marvel, uh, Moon Girl. There's some other ones, and and you see some of the the crossover of that to the uh, Agents of Shield TV series, where they they've done some similar things with it. Not so much the mutant part, but this is the the introduction again of the royal family of Inhumans, which is what is pretty much the classic Inhumans, the ones that were introduced in Fantastic Four. Yeah, uh, the characters like Black Bolt and Medusa and Karnak and and all of those uh, Lockjaw, which is also what we're going to be seeing coming up in a, an ABC series, which is going to hit the big screen first. They're going to do an Inhumans movie that will Ish. be essentially the first two episodes of the the new show that will lead into the series being on ABC. Yeah. No. Yeah. Definitely. 
Um, but I mean, and I'm blanking on, and I could probably just click the links and you know figure out who wrote these things. Um, the X Men Prime read like a classic, um, read like a classic, you know, annual sort of deal because it was written, part, you know, part of it was written by Al Ewing, part of it was written by, um, or no, it was all written by uh, Mark Guggenheim. But then, you know, you got art by, I know there's more, uh, Al Ewing was in there, uh, Mark Guggenheim. Um, art was done by Leonard Kirk, Ken Lashley, um, Ibram uh, Robertson. You know, it was like for all the stories that were going to come out of this with X-Men Gold and X-Men Blue. And then, um, you know, the Jean Grey book and st- um, Weapon X and all that stuff down the line. It was sort of like them doing this nice little intro thing these were in all honesty these are just two and you know it's they're five dollars so there is a little bit of an investment but these are two um like entry points for you because they where they do explain some stuff um and it's it's really interesting to see in, in the inhumans book like to go back to this i'm sorry i'm jumping with both of them there's a point in the beginning of it where you see Medusa and Black Bolt talking to each other, actually talking because um, in the end of, or during um, Inhumans versus X-Men, I believe Emma, uh, Emma had taken Emma away Frost. Her, her, yeah, Emma Frost. For some reason I had like Watson and, you know, the actresses in my head. I couldn't think of what her last name was. She had taken away his powers um, so he could actually talk and not just, you know, you know, destroy buildings with a whisper and all that. Yeah, Black Bolt has kind of the same uh, issue that Rogue has in the fact that having his powers is is sort of torturous for him in a way. On the one hand, it makes him very powerful and intimidating as the, the king of Inhumans. But on the other, it limits things that he can do if he if he yeah. makes any kind of verbal sound at all it's destructive in power uh much like rogue it has has a very powerful set of things but she can't touch anybody so when you take the powers away it's almost like a relief from torture uh similar yeah. to cyclops with his eye blasts yeah and um the other part that i will i will add real quick with this because you know it was so sweet seeing that you know and and even um al ewing in the writing of the book he uh he had said you know this is a or she had Medusa said, you know, this is sweet. I can actually, we can actually talk with you responding back and not me having to interpret looks and all that. But um, there was in the, uh, the Charles Sewell run on in, uh, Uncanny and Humans, there was this little mini story arc that they did with um, an inhuman called Ahura, where her kids, um, Celeste and Tristel, uh, gathered the you know memories essentially of all of these people who knew her and they th- they all thought you know oh she's just trying or they're trying to cope and you know have stuff to remember her by well then they had the um the inhuman reader who anything he reads can, he can make real he read this all out to make another version of her and in in that he she you see her thought bubbles where she's saying she can hear him because one of her powers is that she could hear really well. 
but with this it got so because everyone's like oh it's you know like she could hear my heart beat and stuff like that so now her powers are she can hear their heart you know her hearing so good that she could hear everyone's heart beating and stuff but she could hear him you know with his mouth closed doing the talking thing in his throat you know like like doing a really quiet whisper you know i don't think it could be destructive but i'm like that's amazing you know that you could that you could get that in depth but um like i said with the inhumans they're doing a big setup with this um setting up for uh royals and then black bolts and i forget there's a third book um but one of the things that they did they had in here is they had the trial of maximus because you know he did all this stuff to start out um you know the the coming of marvel boy and you know so much other stuff like that and then uh i actually really think you would like x-men prime because it's all kitty pride i mean and there's nice walk down memory lane here with her um you know they return to or she her storm brings her to the x mansion which is in limbo right now and there's uh storm wants her to lead the x-men and so katie's like okay well let me think about it and it's okay if i walk around the mansion she goes to her room well who's living in her her old room peter you know colossus is living in there and you know they got relationships uh stuff with them and you go throughout this whole thing and you're learning about all these people really again because for if you've already read this stuff but you know through the eyes of kitty which is great because she hadn't been involved with them in so long because she'd been in space, you know, doing the, the, the nasty with Peter Quill until yeah. they broke up. And- Kitty Pride's got Peters all over the place because she, <laughs> she's always had a relationship with, with Colossus. Then uh, in Excalibur, uh, Warren Ellis hooked her up with Pete Wisdom. And then in the Ultimate Universe, she dated Peter Parker. And now she's been hitting it up in 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 the space continuum with Peter Quill. Uh, it, it's it's fair to say, and 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 she Kitty has Pride, a type of, that type is Peter. Yeah, yeah, that's that's absolutely right. Uh, if 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 you're in the monkeys, uh, sorry, Mickey Dolans, it, it's it's going to be Peter Tork. It, it's just that's just how it is with with Kitty. <laughs> I, oh, man, one of my favorite characters. I mean, of of all comics, my two favorite characters are Kitty Pride and Dick Grayson. Yeah, and uh, and and certainly when you when you go back to when Joss Whedon was writing the X Men when he did Astonishing X Men, Kitty Pride was the the introductory character. Kitty Pride was the eyes that we saw the story through, and I think that that makes sense. She she was introduced as a a thirteen year old when she first got her powers and was a uh, sprite way back in the X Men. And uncanny, and I think like one fifty something. Um, she was introduced to be like the young character for people to kind of feel like I've just been introduced to the team. That later got replaced by Jubilee, and then more characters kind of filled that role throughout time. Uh, Sprite did for a while. Not Sprite. What was the other one? The the Wing Girl. I don't know. There was a bunch of different ones that have Pixie. happened. But Kitty Pixie, yes. Um, with I think they also gave her. Ileana's soul sword or something, which was something that Kitty had for a long time. It's just like, God, fucking let her be her own fucking character. Um, but yeah, Kitty is 
realistically, she's been a part of the X-Men her whole adult life and has yeah. been trained by some of the very best. She spent time being trained by Logan. She spent time being trained by Oro. She's been trained by Scott and by the professor. So she has the ins and outs and she knows and has relationships with all these people. She's a very solid choice. Plus, um, one of the things that we've always talked about how the X-Men are an allegory for racism and uh, discrimination and Kitty Pride always kind of dual identified because she's also Jewish and she's dealt with discrimination being of Jewish descent. A uh, lot of great storylines some of the character over the years. It's no wonder that she's one of my favorites. Yeah. So and- I, it's, it's interesting, although I will say that it, it, even though I'm not big on the Inhumans and, and have never really been a, a huge fan of them, not nothing against them. Al Ewing writing the Royals series is intriguing because out of everybody who's working at Marvel as writers right now, um, Ewing is the one who seems to me to kind of be kicking ass and and not oh, yeah. getting huge numbers, but it seems like the stuff that he writes is just really cool and fun. Well, okay, yeah, so to mention that, to go off with that, um, one of my favorite issues that he did, he's writing U.S. Avengers right now, which mm-hmm. he was he was doing, um, the inter- the book before that, which it was the Ultimates. That, uh, well, no, he's also doing Ultimates, but he was there was a book that U.S. Avengers came out of, and it was oh, uh, it was it was New Avengers. Um, his running there with uh Robert DaCosta, you know, buying AIM. And making them, you know, Avengers um, in, initiative, uh, whatever, idea mechanics, whatever AIM normally stands for. Um, but he did a tie-in, quote-unquote tie-in issue with Monsters Unleashed. Um, the event series that they did that just introduced a new Inhuman called Kid Kaiju. And in there, he did it like it was. And it's a standard 24-page issue. And he did the whole thing like it was mini comic books with oh. the to be continued. Like like you get through reading like three pages. And it has to be continued in dot, dot, dot. Turn the page. It's the cover for the next issue um, going from the characters. And I'm like, this is so brilliant. Like, it's just so great. Um, It was the last issue of Inhumans, I believe, or uh, not Inhumans, U.S. Avengers. I believe U.S. Avengers number three. If I'm not yeah, mistaken, I mean, that that guy, uh, again, I, I'm not really into the comics right now, but that is a guy that I feel like he's going to get a lot of my attention when I yes. maybe I'll, I'll I'll subscribe to the Marvel Unlimited app at some point and start catching up on all his work because he's he's got a lot of stuff that has been very enticing. And when I hear people talk about him, it's never seems to be a bad thing to say about him other than the fact that he, his books don't sell. In, in the numbers that you would expect from bigger name creators, but I don't think it's a quality that's holding he's, it back. He's easily the hardest working man in Marvel writing right now. Well, he just, he sounds books. like he's having a lot of fun. You know, he yeah. sounds like he's, he, he's doing a lot of stuff that is exciting in an old school kind of Marvel way. And, and I think Guggenheim is, is trying to bring some of that old school back with yeah. the, the X-Men as well. 
Yeah, and Guggenheim's done that, which is so weird since he writes for The Flash on the on DCCW. Yeah, but he's 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 sort of agnostic as to which company he wants to work for because he's yeah. probably like us. He's read both companies all his life, and he's had his favorites of, of either one, and he's just excited. Like, I get to write the X-Men, and I get to write yeah. The Flash. How fucking cool is my life? Oh, uh, no, yeah, definitely. Mark, why do you got to rub it in our faces? Why do you got to be <laughs> yeah, that way? Really? Really, Mark? Why do you got to be that way? Let us give know. me a fucking job, man. Give me, give me. I'll fucking get your coffee. I'll, I'll give you oral. Damn it! I was gonna get his coffee. Well, then you can do the oral pleasure. No, I'll let you do that part. <laughs> but no, I mean, honestly, I mean, these these are setting up for stuff that is so good. Um, and and honestly, you know, be checking out if you are watching this. Or listening to this later, be checking out Galactic Radio because I will have my picks throughout the coming weeks, um, and they're, they're sure to include. Actually, I know this week is going to include Royals number one, um. But you know there will be other things that will be involved there, you know other new comings from Marvel and stuff. But that's enough about me, Corey. I hear a funny thing happened on Adult Swim. Yeah, and and funny in the sense of like I had no idea what the hell was going on. So it's it's Saturday nights are usually when I will prep for podcasts of terror because we normally record on Sundays. Uh, but this week we had to move it to Monday because uh, Matt is selling and buying houses. Uh, Matt's got some shit going on with his life. So and thank you to my else nerds. Uh, pals for being willing to move the show to Tuesday for me but Saturday night I was like all right uh I got free TV time I don't want to throw anything on that I'm going to take too seriously reruns of Rick and Morty are are going over on the Adult Swim I will I will pop that on and I it was a season two episode it was I think episode three from season two and I'm watching it and I'm like god damn I don't remember any of this shit and and I I'm pretty sure I've seen all the episodes. I'm like, oh, this is fucking weird. And so I'm like, okay, it must be one that slipped through the cracks. I'm also trying to figure out time wise where this lands with other stuff because it's like it 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 ends with some shit going down. And I'm like, this doesn't feel right for where the last season, and certainly not for episode three of the last season because the end of this episode, it it seems like episode four is going to be like completely different from anything that I've seen as well. And then. Episode four is supposed to play right after it. And I start watching and it's the beginning of the same episode. I'm like, some shit's going down. And I figured out pretty fast because I hadn't caught the first episode, first episode of the same fucking show Uh, from the beginning. I came in like five minutes in uh, enjoying the, the lovely stylings of Nathan Fillion as one of the aliens on there. And I realized, oh shit, this is the third season. This they're playing the first episode of third. Why does nobody know about this? A- apparently, the internet knew. The internet had blown the fuck up. The internet, no, here's here's the weird, weird part about that. The internet had known, but like I I'd seen um like you know Philip DeFranco he had posted that no one clicked on his link because they thought it was an April Fool's joke. Right. So at first and it was like everyone was like, and it is. It's an April Fool's joke because, one, uh, if you think the hour after these things are playing that you're going to suddenly see Family Guy and American Dad reruns, nuh-uh, you're getting four hours of fucking <laughs> um, 
Rick and Morty uh, of this one episode done over and over again. <laughs> Let me also say, from a advertising standpoint, some also weird shit. One is Samsung has their new Galaxy S8 commercial out. Yeah. Uh, they have one commercial, which is kind of lengthy, which is, we are the makers of shit. Uh, you tell us With you can't make something and, and we're fucking making it. And it, it's a cool yeah. commercial. Then they have this other shorter commercial that is just basically the outline of the phone and shit happening that's like in the phone but outside the phone because the phone is edgeless and it's like your world has now been expanded because of this edgeless screen. And that commercial, those two in particular, but that commercial with the phone edgeless 15-second thing plays four times in a row. Variations of it, like one's with fish, one is with with some shark and a guy swimming. Uh, one I think is probably just cum shots. I don't know, but it was like, God damn it, they played the fuck out of these Samsung commercials, except when they were playing the other commercials. And I'm going to talk about the commercials as much as I'm talking about the show because that's how much I fucking saw these commercials. The other set of commercials they were doing all night were the Carl's Jr. slash Hardy's commercials where they've introduced Chip Esten as Carl Hardy Sr. coming in and whooping his kid's ass and saying all these fucking commercials you've been doing for the last 10 years with supermodels in bikinis eating our burgers, that's all bullshit. We're getting back down to the basics of the food. Now, this commercial plays like a fucking music video because it's five minutes long. And they, and they play they play a shorter version of a, a couple of times too. But essentially, again, these are the these are the commercials we're getting the whole time. Samsung commercials, Carl's Jr. with Carl Sr. now commercials, over and over again every break, and it's a lot. Now I appreciate them basically saying, "Oh, we're gonna we're gonna do all the advertising for your new Rick and Mortys and everything." It's kind of funny to me though because one of the big things about the Rick and Morty episode is his unending quest to bring back a special sauce for Chicken McNuggets, uh, a Szechuan sauce that was only made in 1998 relating to the Mulan uh, Disney movie that had come out at that time. And it was only out for a short time, and it's all he wants is his fucking sauce back. So in the show that... Carl's Jr.'s is advertising on. They also did the Rick and Morty Carl's Jr. ad, which is fun. But in this show, they pretty much put a whole bunch of shit into McDonald's <laughs> for a show that was advertised almost semi-exclusively by Carl's Jr. And McDonald's shit has been blowing up ever since this episode. Because everyone's like, yeah, you should bring back the Szechuan sauce. Like, most of us don't even remember that shit existed. It, or we've now imagined that we remember it much like we remember the Shazam movie starring Sinbad, where he was a genie <laughs> that never fucking existed, uh, except they did an April Fool's joke about that, too, and it kind of does now. Anyway, Rick and Morty. Really good episode. Really great to have the show back. Really great way to follow up on where they left off in the last season. Last season ended dark. It ended in a dark place. It ended in a bad place for Rick. It ended with a bad place for the family. So knowing the context is important when you're watching this episode. Don't miss the first five minutes because it kind of breaks it down for you going in. But it does it all right. I mean, it's it's consistently 
the great show that it continues to be. And it gets pretty crazy um, throughout. And and I don't want to spoil it for people. I think you can still see it on the internet, maybe. Uh, and I, I hope you can. If not, it's going to be on in a few weeks when they bring the, the new season out completely. But goddamn. Goddamn, <laughs> the show is genius. And, and I ha- also have to, have to say that I listen to the Harmontown podcast quite a bit. Uh, my, my podcast habits pretty heavily feature um, my favorite murder and Harmontown, which are both on the, the same uh, network, Feral Audio. Uh, Slumber Party is another one that I listen to that's actually got me into that network, but they're not doing a lot right now because Georgia Hardstark is so occupied with my favorite murder and doing tours and stuff for it right now. But it amazes me because the guy who does the voice for both Rick and Morty sounds exactly like Dan Harmon. It is crazy. Uh, Justin had been on another podcast on Feral Audio last week, I think. And in the bit, he does Rick's voice and he does Morty's voice. But when he does Rick's voice, it's like, I was just listening to Dan Harmon five seconds ago. That's fucking Dan Harmon, but it's not. <laughs> He's doing an impersonation of Dan Harmon to a fucking T, and Dan Harmon's in the goddamn room helping make the show and also does one of the other voices for the show. So it's fucking weird and mildly annoying. Yeah. It just messes with my brain a little bit, messes with it just a tad. Yeah. So this is where I get to tell you my plans for thursday have evolved and changed a little bit if not thursday then sunday because i am i don't know where i left off exactly but i am still a a little bit behind on season two of rick and morty god damn i know and it's just it's what it's this weird thing like i just like it slips my mind and i'm like all right i'll catch it when i can catch it and then this and i'm like oh okay that's cool um i still got like maybe five or less episodes to watch and i know i'm a bad person but yeah <laughs> no you're not a bad person it, it's one of those things like rick and morty for me started out like okay so this is what we're gonna have and set up community now and and i'll have to deal with it and and at first i didn't get it and the belching really kind of freaked me out and like made me uncomfortable a lot yeah because it's like being on here with you uh, it, it's the wet belching. It's it's the wet vomity belch that that gets to me. And he he does it a lot. He does it a lot. Um, I can't because there will be vomit in one of those things yeah, eventually. Absolutely, it just sounds like I've I've had GERDs. It's it's painful. Uh, it because I, I feel connected. But the the first episode of the show was okay. The second episode was was genius and i'm like holy shit i think the second episode might have been the one where where the dogs take over and i'm like holy fuck this is great and it was easily up there with things like the the um oh i don't know the the halloween episode of community or when they had the pillow fort versus the blanket fort like that kind of shit it's like this level of thought process is just holy shit and then the next episode was okay again. I'm like, okay, so it's going to be consistent. But then the next episode was fucking genius again. I'm like, ah, you know, and just, and it got stronger as it went along. It's not like it was that inconsistent. It, it became more and more consistently amazing. And the second season was just 
all throughout. I can't think of a of a throwaway episode from the second season. Although I felt like for a second there that I was watching an episode that I must have seen before, and I couldn't remember why the, I couldn't remember it. Um, yeah, this was such an amazing comeback for the show. Uh, such an amazing payoff for the end of the season two, uh, where things had gotten left. And it is, it is like you hate when the show is not on. You hate that you have all these huge spaces in between. It, we feel like that one with with Sherlock. Um, I used to feel that way with you about Doctor Who until Doctor Who was like not good, but. Like this show is is again, it's one of those things like I can't wait for this to come back, but I'm just grateful that we get what we get because it's just so genius when it's happening. Uh, Venture Brothers is another one like Venture Brothers yeah. comes back once every three years or something like, holy shit, fucking Venture Brothers, greatest show on earth. And then it's gone again. And <laughs> just it kind of like it touches you in the morning and walks away uh, two snaps and a circle. Um, I just fucking die watching this. I, I just think it's so good. And uh, I could not be happier. Yeah. I hope Dan Harmon talks about it on the next Harmon Town. About how much you could just die and you, you can't. I just want him to reach like out and cut my balls and, and just yeah. know that they are spent. <laughs> All right. Well, that is going to do it for the Else Views, and we will be right back. Look up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's. What is that exactly? You know, Superman is an extraterrestrial, so you may hear us talk about him on the Alien Invasion podcast. Hey, it's Dave Nelson inviting you to join myself, Brad Ludwig, and Anessa Moyens for our weekly discussion about all things not of this Earth, whether they be gray or green creatures from fiction, the latest stories from the world of science regarding the real possibility of life out there somewhere, or the claim from somebody saying they're already among us. We'll talk about it. You'll hear three stories from the week's news, a featured sighting, and our entertainment picks or warnings rated on a scale of one to five flying saucers, of course. All of it and more every week on the Alien Invasion podcast, part of the Galactic Netcast network of shows. Find us at gncasts.com aliens or wherever you subscribe to podcasts. And we are back and it is time for the Else Words. This is our discussion topic the main the main enchilada of our show and this is this, this is straight up chimichanga this is yes this, this is gonna this is gonna break some shit down so the, yeah this is gonna be very interesting um because we are going to talk about the marvel retailer summit and how and, could we not yeah i mean yeah because you know we're a financial podcast because of course we'll talk about this but there's some parts in here that I honestly feel like were, you know, that really should be addressed, you know, that we could talk about because the big thing that came out was that, uh, what's his name? The, sorry, dog decided he wanted in and he just busts in like a little jackass. Um, the Marvel senior vice president of sales and marketing, David Gabriel, he had made a quote that said, People don't like diversity. People don't want, um, you know, they want the core characters back, not, oh, excuse me, the, speaking of Belches from earlier, um, they want, they don't want this, they don't want diversity and all that stuff. And I read the, the update, the fixing of that quote, and this makes sense. 
but um, they talked a little bit about the new, there's a new um, initiative uh, called Generations that was revealed in the summit. Um, and it's a way for uh, to set people's minds at ease um, that the core, the core characters will continue. Uh, but I want to read something here, and I'm actually going to read it verb uh, like throughout the whole thing because it's uh, it's a topic that uh, it's an anecdote that um, Axel Alonso gives, um, you know, fairly regularly. He goes, I I tell the story all the time. He said, my wife is Korean. I've got a Korean nephew. This Korean American kid couldn't sleep at night at 4 a.m. He's looking at the ceiling because he just found out the new Hulk is a Korean American kid. He's terrified he's going to be the next Hulk. I had to get on the phone with him and tell him, you're okay. First of all, it's not a curse. And second of all, there could only be one Hulk. But uh, but put down that phone and settle down for a minute. Just, just let it settle in for a second. This little kid suddenly identified with the Hulk in a way he had never before. Um, he'd seen the Hulk before. He liked the Hulk. He liked Captain America. But now, suddenly, he can actually imagine himself as the Hulk. I think that's a cool little story. That that's all Axel Alonso. I emphasize some of the you know the things in there, and that's where I feel like you know a lot of people sort of got like misinterpreted some things that were said about you know legacy characters. Well, no, the, a lot of the stuff started out with David. Gabriel and and his comments. Uh, let let's let's elaborate a little bit on what he actually said. Um, it, it, when asked, uh, he said there was a, a big shift in the entire industry, and there were a lot of factors behind things changing at Marvel. And and one of the things that they they were hearing was that diversity was not appealing to some of their older fans. Um, diversity of the characters and things were were causing the the sales to slump now they also said things about the election causing sales to slump they said some stuff about uh dc causing their sales to slump i don't remember exactly all of the the context of that but what people were hearing and what what crossed a lot of blog sites uh clickbaity headlines was that basically this guy is saying diversity in comics doesn't sell it doesn't yeah. work and that is not what he actually said what he said is these are things that we've heard whether or not we believe it is something else and he actually had made that statement now he yeah. then had to come back later on and start clarifying because everybody's already saying oh so diversity doesn't work so you're going to get rid of all your diversity and again that's not something that he said either but there has been some rumors that Marvel is going to get back to some of their meat and potatoes characters. Now, some of these things we know don't necessarily have anything to do with diversity. Now, there is the introduction of a lot of new characters. So uh, we go back a few years. Um, I don't remember what the crossover was. It was one with Nick Fury where he whispered something to Thor's ear and basically made Thor unworthy. And suddenly we had in Jason Aaron's Original Thor story. book, yeah, we we had the introduction of a new Thor, a female Thor. And after a period of time, we found out that that was um, Jane. Yes, that was Jane Foster. Jane Foster, um, who is who has terminal cancer, um, which it it sort of does it, the 
one of the reasons why I got into Marvel comics over DC was because I found these people so human. Um, right. Where, you know, DC had the gods, but, you know, like it was all like their gods and stuff like that. Even Batman. I mean, you know, he trained himself, his body to the peak performance. But with. Which is probably why at DC, I relate to a lot of the sidekicks. Yes. Yeah. Um, but over at Marvel, you know, it seemed like everyone had this weakness, you know, a weakness to them. And that's what made them more relatable for us. Uh, imperfect. So, yeah, imperfect. Yeah, these imperfections. Um, so, for example, you know, the fact that, you know, while Jane Foster is going around doing the whole alter ego thing and has terminal cancer, um, she's going to chemo and, you know, getting the, the radiation and all that stuff for it. Every time she transforms into Thor, all that stuff is just gets wiped out of her. Right. So she's essentially killing herself by protecting everyone and stuff like that. Yeah. Um. But again, I mean, that happened. That was something that felt like it was sort of inherent to the story, but it was a big deal. We're replacing Thor. I think Marvel even did a a they showed up on the view or something introducing the female Thor character. Yes. I, yeah. I know they did it a couple of times with different things. Um, we have the Miles Morales character who was introduced several years before as part of the Ultimate Universe, which is already a big deal, is they replaced what was that universe's Spider-Man with that. Uh, by killing that universe as Peter Parker off with a uh, mixed race, uh, African-American and uh, Latino Puerto Puerto Rican. Thank you. Um, Character and making him that world Spider-Man. And then they shifted him over to this universe. Now shifting over this universe didn't take away Peter Parker. Peter Parker still exists, but the status quo of Peter Parker changed around the same time. So now there's two Spider-Men. Then there's Kamala Khan, who in many ways is probably the best example of a legacy character at Marvel because she exists not as a replacement for Carol Danvers. Carol Danvers had already for a number of years been upgraded to the Captain Marvel character. So there's a Miss Marvel name that's out there and a brand new character created takes that name, but is not trying to be the same character. It's very different in feel. At most, it's like, I've got the same name, and for a while, she had a similar costume. Um, but developed her own identity and everything very quickly. My one complaint about uh, Kamala Khan is that she is an inhuman in a universe where they're trying to introduce all these inhuman characters, and it feels like it's... I, I would rather some originality and difference in the origins of the characters. Yeah. But the Inhumans is a sign of part of why Marvel, I think, is having problems. We'll get to that. Um, those are those are ones that are good examples. And and I don't think anybody has specific complaints about any of those. Like most people might say, well, I like I like the Odin son more than I like Jane as Thor. But the Odinson got his own book and has existed continuously by the same writer, in fact. So if you're in, if you were enjoying Jason Aaron writing Thor before, you can continue to enjoy him writing Odinson in a different title. And you get the, the Jane Foster Thor as a bonus if you enjoy it. And if you don't, you don't have to read it. But it, it is like it's a journey for them. Some other things happened. Captain America, uh, Steve Rogers, gets replaced by Sam Wilson. 
who uh, was classically the Falcon, has been a, a partner to Cap for a number of years. It's much the same as if Bruce Wayne had given up being Batman and instead of having Dick Grayson take over, which is what happened before when Bucky as the Winter Soldier took over as Captain America. In this case now, it's like, oh, well, now I'm going to have Tim Drake be Batman instead. Um, The concept of a black Captain America, again, is not new. They had one uh, years ago in the, uh, what was it, the Captain America white miniseries there was some miniseries that they had where they introduced um, that there was a uh, black red, captain red, white america truth. It red was, white and truth yes yeah it was it was actually axel alonzo's uh one of his early books that he was an editor on yeah um and uh and and sam wilson my only problem with it is that i think falcon is a fantastic character already i don't need to see the character move up in anything else. I don't I don't see that as a graduation for him. I already think he's cool. I was like Cal- I, I again, I like sidekicks. I like Falcon as much or more than I like Cap. Um and I always dug his costume and everything too, the old 70s cheesy red with the white V-neck shirt and everything. <laughs> I don't know why. I I just did. Um then we got into some other strangeness. The replacing Tony Stark with a 15-year-old African-American girl who is a super genius who created her own armor. But then to do that, they basically off Tony Stark. He's also gotten replaced by Victor Von Doom, who is a white guy who's got a lot of history in the universe. Uh, so if, if having white people around is, is your like, I need this to enjoy these books, there's still some white heterosexual dudes uh, around in, in all of Marvel's universe. Um, you're, you're not really missing too many. Um, what was the other one? Uh, Iron Man, Cap, Thor. I know Hulk. that there's one more. Hulk. Yes. The so Hulk with Amadeus Cho, which is what I mentioned with the quote. Oh Lord, the Hulk one is, in many ways, I think the biggest example of doing something wrong for maybe the right reasons. Not so much that Amadeus Cho, who is again a character that I really dug. Uh, I found a, a love for that character when the Hulk book was taken over by Hercules. So it was the Incredible Hulk for a while. And Amadeus Joe was this, you know, 15 year old genius kid who was hanging out with him. And it was always like Hercules and Amadeus Cho with pup in, in tow because he had a puppy with him the whole time. Uh, I thought that book was great. I thought the character was great. But in some stupid ass Civil War. <sighs> sequel they randomly have bruce banner get shot by hawkeye and uh that's not a crime apparently because bruce banner might have become a bad person in the future and done shit wrong based off of the visions of some character that nobody had any fucking idea who he really was and uh that also did a lot of damage to the carol danvers character at the same time in a lot of people's opinions. Uh, It was a poor story to make something happen. And then to file that up, they take Amadeus Cho, who is, again, a character that already has an established ability to be in the books and is cool in his own right. And they say, oh, well, let's make him the new Hulk. Uh, So person of color, 
teenager. Let's throw that out there. And then She-Hulk becomes the new Hulk as well and gets all her uh-huh. anger over from her, her cousin because she couldn't stop it from happening and she's all pissed off now. Uh, yeah, it, it's, that one, honestly, with that one, because this is where I'm going to be like, wait, hold up here before you go because you're you're not reading comic books. I'm this definitely one not. Where, she, where she's, she's in the book called Hulk, she hasn't hulked out once yet. This is... This is, I would say, more of the getting into the classic Bruce Banner aspect of this where she d- she is dealing with all that anger, so she doesn't want to because she's right. not going to turn into she's not going to turn into uh, Jen Walt or Jen Walters, you know, just taller, green, you know, buff and stuff like that. She's going to rip arms off and, you know, but that is the smash. complaint of people is we had the Hulk. And we had She-Hulk, and She-Hulk yeah. was very different from the Hulk, and she was her own character. But they decided to get rid of the Hulk and turn She-Hulk into the Hulk. And by doing that, one, getting a really good character that we liked, and two, changing another character that we liked to fit the type of the first character, replacing a character that didn't need to be replaced. That is the level of complaint of people who they're saying that they've heard aren't enjoying the diversity of Marvel comics. And this is what was listed as the problem at Marvel right now or being discussed as the potential problem, what they're hearing. Again, not what they're saying. Marvel very much believes in diversity. Now, some people have claimed Marvel only believes in diversity in as much as it makes them a buck. And they will turn like a dime on diversity if it stops working for them. I don't believe that. I don't believe that because one of Marvel's big problems is no characters can succeed in a book if they're less than 20 years old. That has been a big problem for them. The most successful character from the last few years has been Deadpool. And Deadpool had 20 years leading up to becoming that successful of a character. But everything else that's been introduced new has been a much harder sell. So putting other people into the togs of Spider-Man and putting them into the roles of Iron Man and putting them into the roles of Thor is in their eyes, the best way to introduce characters. Now that is not technically true because like we just said, yes, Kamala Khan is called Miss Marvel, but it's not like Miss Marvel has had a book called Miss Marvel in probably 20 years in and of itself. And her book has been very successful. A lot of new books that were introduced that were, I'll call them boom-type titles, meaning they had an aesthetic and writing style, an art style, similar to what you'd see at a lot of the boom books now. Um, Things like the uh, Squirrel Girl title, the Hellcat title. A lot of these books were very new tries for Marvel. And with different ranges of success. They did not sell, at least on the newsstand, like what Marvel expects from their other titles to do. Mockingbird uh, made it up to issue 10, I think, was lauded by a lot of people as being a very good book. Uh, And I think right about the time that people were really discovering it, about the time that the t-shirt cover came out and everybody flipped out because it was it said something along the lines of ask me about my feminist agenda and <laughs> uh the f word on the internet just seems to break fucking reddit uh like a 4chan dick 
I, I think that <laughs> a lot of these titles were a great sense of experimentation. At the same yeah. time, DC was doing something like that with their DCU. You know, the success of Batgirl of Burnside had a lot of titles that followed it. The Black Canary title. Um, yeah. I don't remember all the other ones, but they, they came uh, and Gotham sadly... Academy. Gotham Academy. But, but a lot of them came and went. You know, it was yeah. because these companies are not boom. These companies are not image. These companies have served an aesthetic and a story time story type for 50, 60, 70 years. Um, they have been all superheroes, all spandex, all the time for a long time. And it is what most people think of comics being because of these two companies, because of DC and Marvel. So when they do try something new like this, one, they don't have the expertise of it that a boom who's doing it naturally does. They don't have the expertise of it that Image does because Image is hiring creators that this is the way that they make comics. And I'm not saying that the creators that came over and did this at Marvel don't do that. But now they're trying to do it with characters that they didn't create. They're trying to do it with characters that have to fit into a shared universe in a lot of ways. They're having to do it to a Marvel audience who is frankly not ready for that. That is the most I will say about where diversity maybe didn't work out for them. But let's take a look at another thing. Let's take a look at why Marvel may be suffering right now in the industry, why they are struggling. And there's things behind the scenes that we have to kind of take for, well, it may or may not be true, but it seems pretty kind of likely that it is true. Marvel did everything they could to break the X-Men because they mm -hmm. don't like sharing the X-Men with Fox Studios. They don't like creating stuff in the comics and having Fox profit off of it where Marvel can't. Marvel broke and got rid of the Fantastic Four, as Beats mentioning right as I'm getting to it. Uh, the Fantastic Four doesn't have a comic right now. Some of the Fantastic Four characters don't exist in the Marvel Universe right now. Uh, on top of that, they broke everything with the, the secret war or whatever book that they did i i don't remember what it was that was like let's secret break wars continuity too. yeah secret wars too let's break continuity a little bit and we're gonna keep reed and sue over here and we'll let johnny hang out with the inhumans and we'll let ben hang out with guardians or someplace else we don't know where ben is uh ben's got his own shit going on but ben always kind of had his own shit going on marvel seriously went after the x-men though like seriously by saying, we don't want the X-Men to succeed, we'll make a new X-Men that we can control and we can have movies for. Um, and they did that with Inhumans. And as much as they tried to force it, it didn't take. Now, you have your random things here and there. You've got Miss Marvel, who is an Inhuman, but doesn't succeed because she's an Inhuman. She succeeds because she's Miss Marvel and because the writer and the, the artist on that book made a really compelling book. The only reason why sales started to go down on Miss Marvel is because the book's been relaunched several times because of all these crossovers and stuff and because Marvel has a tendency to relaunch books over and over again, which kills sales. It gives them a bump up for that first issue and then the sales always fall further than where the book was already. But killing Marvel's, like basically their, their workhorse, which the X-Men were since the 80s, 
I think is a big deal. And so they're just now getting around to getting some of those characters back. They're doing it in a weird way by also introducing characters that have been time displaced for way too long and still trying to run with a storyline of like, here's the original X-Men in their, their teens slash 20s running around the Marvel Universe in a way that makes no real sense. We'll keep shoehorning it in. And part of that has probably been fixed by Secret Wars, but it's still, it's one of those things that you have to explain to a new reader. It's, yeah. Well, yes and no, because they're, they've hit the end of that um, with this. And in um, All New X-Men number 20 or whatever the last issue of All New X-Men was that came out last week, they actually did go back into the past. They did. And, they're, and, and, and they yeah. said, oh, well, uh, it's broken. Time is broken. Time's rejected us from going back. No, no, they, no, it's, there's a group of people there who are the X-Men. Right. There's, Meaning that these X-Men cannot go back because yeah. probably because they're from the 616 universe and the whole Marvel universe is not the 616 universe anymore. Yeah. Or they're, you know, yeah, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is again, then, then, then we just have to deal with these other fucking ones running around. Like in the '90s, right before um, Heroes Reborn, Marvel tried to basically fix Tony Stark by turning him into a teenager. Yeah, and it's one of those crazy ass stories that you just do and you hope it's going to make sense, but it didn't really make sense and nobody was really into it. And thank God they did heroes reborn at the same time, which is a strange thing to say because heroes reborn was kind of a big piece of shit. Um, but still that's, that's kind of the thing is if I walk into a comic store as a fan of the movies, yeah. if I walk into the comic store as a fan of Marvel comics from 10 years ago, let alone 20 years ago or whatever, I'm going to be pretty fucking confused by trying to figure out why there's a 17-year-old Cyclops hanging out with this group called the Champions uh, when Cyclops is older and with Jean Grey and is in the X-Men. Oh, but he's he's in the X-Men too, but he's not older because the older one just died. And, yep. and so they're all teenagers. And uh, Angel's got fire wings now. And uh, Iceman is, is apparently gay all of a sudden. Uh, because Jean Grey told him that he was and then told older version of him that he was. And he's like, yeah, you're probably right. And I don't I don't have a problem with the fact that this guy has probably always been gay. And it, it's been hinted at more than enough times in the comics. And, and a lot of people really upset, like they're changing Iceman to change him, even though now we kind of understand that Iceman doesn't have a history with his other Iceman. But he's yeah. getting his own book. So this is, to many people's eyes, this is doing diversity in the wrong way. Even if you say, I don't like diverse characters, I, I just want white heterosexual men, who I again argue, they're all over the fucking place in the Marvel Universe. You cannot walk anywhere without bumping into a white heterosexual male. Um, be careful on the bus, people. I'm gonna Even point if that out, so is gonna... not what your problem is, the state of changing characters seemingly for the idea of making them diverse without having a coherent story to make sense out of it or without just saying we're introducing new characters. Like when Young Avengers was was running with uh, Gillen and McKelvey mm -hmm. and, and they all kind of identified somewhere on the LGBT 
scale. Uh, it worked because they yeah. were all new characters. It 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 worked fine, you know. But there is there is a problem of do we want a diverse universe that we have to shoehorn in, or can we do things more naturally? And the other part of it, and I think the bigger problem of it is not that all these new characters are existing and are in the books and stuff. It's that when the originals are not in the books, like it's okay for me to say that Sam Wilson is, is Captain America, but maybe my preference is Steve Rogers. Well, Steve Rogers is still there. It's just that he's, he's a uh, uh, Hydra Nazi. Uh, that's weird. If, but I'll tell you what, in the eighties or nineties, if that storyline was happening, and he was still the only Captain America, people would have been sort of okay with it. They would have been upset. They would have been like, what the hell's going on? But they could have accepted it mentally. But what they're seeing is, okay, so I get new Cap, who is maybe not my favorite, or I get old Cap, who's now a completely different character and makes no sense to the history as I understand it, so I don't have my favorite Captain America anymore. In Iron Man, I get Iron Man Von Doom, or I get Ironheart. But I don't get Tony Stark, who is maybe the guy that I like. And, oh, by the way, we just recently killed War Machine. Uh, stupidly. Stupidly. Um, so I, I can get where that's coming from. But I don't think at all that that's Marvel's intent. No. Marvel's intent is to sell you comics. Marvel's intent is to sell as many people, as many comics as they can. Marvel's intent is to give you what you want, but give new people what they want too. And they're having the the exact kind of growing pains that any company would have when you're trying to introduce new product. At first, your existing audience is going to resist. But and your and your new audience doesn't exist. You have to find them and draw them in. And you're hoping that you're going to catch them by word of mouth or off the street or through digital or whatever. But that's a hard thing to build on. The problem is, is you you break the boat while you're building your life raft. It's like, hey, uh, we're, we're, we're going to try to get to shore. We need to build a raft because the boat's too big to go to shore. So to build the raft, we're going to start taking planks off the bottom of the fucking boat so we can, so we can build this little raft. Well, that's great and all, but while you're building a raft, we're over here sinking. Marvel's sinking. And that's what they're experiencing right now. Retailers are not saying we don't like diverse books. A lot of retailers are saying we absolutely love diverse books. Yeah. What what Marvel wants to hear versus what's being said are two different things. And I think what Marvel is refusing to hear is that the stories have not been good, that the cost of entry for comics that have gone up to $3.99, $4.99, $5.99, in some cases $9.99 for a single comic, which is actually a pretty good value when you can see the amount of pages in it. Um, that is keeping people away. The events that go on and on and keep repeating and don't actually finish anywhere, but disrupt the the extenuating books. Yeah, are, are wearing down users. So I think. So I, I want to hit on that. Real quick. I want to expand on that because I was flipping through that, um, and Axel Alonso had mentioned in here that he when he came in as editor-in-chief um the, they did avx 
and he suggested multiple artists and multiple writers and that um dan buckley went red hulk on him um it's because it's not the way we do events and so they're smartening up about the events books where they're going in a lot of ways what dc did with the uh, Batman and Robin Eternal, where you have multiple writers, multiple artists, who then where we do a weekly book. But sort is that always the right choice? So here's here's where here's where Buckley came from, and and I and I kind of I'm old school, so I kind of agree with that. There is something to be said for an event where it's an anthology type series, uh, where each new issue gets a different artist, maybe a different writer, and and you you get to see things from different perspectives and stuff. And that feels okay. My problem is when you have events and you make the, oh, we're going to have Mark Miller write this and Steve, McPhil- Steve McMillan's going to draw it. Great. You know, I don't like Mark Miller, but uh, I, I Steve's art is fantastic. Can't wait to see that. Um, issue four comes out and there's Steve on a couple of pages and then fill an artist for the rest of it. By the time issue six comes out, Steve's not on the book anymore. So you got pulled into this event series that is all supposed to be one long storyline and have consistency. And we know by the end on most of these events that the artist isn't going to make it all the way through. People are frustrated like because it feels like bait and switch in that. And I think that that is a problem. Now, if you plot your things ahead of time and you're not building a universe-shattering event every six months... Maybe you can get an artist to finish the fucking six books. And maybe you can tell your writer not to say at the last minute, oh, instead of six, it's going to be eight. Um, that, that's, that's what a fucking editor does, is yeah. they keep the shit in line. And Marvel doesn't keep the shit in line. And now what they're doing is it sounds like they're excusing themselves from keeping it in line. And I think that that's proven that if people are already not buying it, that's not the direction you follow through on. Yeah, and it it just it seems like like they're trying. We're you know beat saying, um, you know they talk about managing talent and stuff on here. It seems like they're trying to work in ways that will get the, um, that will make these events to where they don't overlap. Like because that's the big thing is, like you know oh they're overlapping or you get instances where you know for like for example champions, um debuted before the um oh i cannot think of what the series was that was the event that sort of um before civil war ii finished which was sort of the that was the what caused them to say hey avengers we quit you know we're going to be we're going to be something better than you guys and all that um i will say since we are running long on this the we'll leave the art of the the urls the links to the it's a three-part article thing um on there and it's it is a great read to look at they hit everything from marvel trade pricing um you know securing the talent um you know event fatigue and timing of events the yeah uh, i mean there's there's another thing to be said about marvel's quality of art there's a number of times that i've looked at marvel books that have been coming out over the last couple of years and I just question this is the best artist they could get for this title. Now, yeah. I, I love stylized art. You know, I love Humberto Ramos. Uh, I love 
uh, Chris Bacalo. Chris Bacalo, one of my all-time favorite artists, and his run on Generation X with Scott Lobdell when they co-created the title. It stands out in my heart as one of my all-time favorite runs of any comic. And his uh-huh. art is heavily stylized. You know, the character's very skinny, and oblong, weird. And I, I totally dig that. Uh, Ramos, I really liked his his stuff uh, when he did Crimson at Image. Uh, was was fantastic. I loved him, I think, when he was doing Impulse over DC. So the right book, he works really well in. But part of the, the problem with consistency of artists is, is that, is that if I get someone like um, a Greg Land, who's not a favorite artist of mine, but let's say Greg Land is doing a book, and I get two issues of Greg Land, and then I get an artist who looks very cartoony versus Greg Land's artwork, which looks very photorealistic. I'm going to have a problem with that. I'm, I'm going to yeah. have a problem because the consistency is off, especially if it's in the same storyline of like, but but this is not this is not how Cap looked. This is not how any of the the other characters, the supporting characters, looked last issue. Like Sharon Carter's hair is completely fucked up from last issue, and she looks nothing like the same character. It's very confusing. That consistency matters. Um, so if you're trying to introduce an artist with a new style, which is a non-house style, and I don't like house styles, it's one of the problems I had with the New Fifty Two, is that all the books look very homogenous to each other. Yeah. Um, You've got to give that person a book that is going to let their style shine, and you've got to give them the room to introduce their style so that it it all feels cohesive. So give them their first story arc, their six issues, that they can't stay on the book past that or stay on schedule past that. That that's one thing, and that's a problem with artists, unfortunately, today. They they just there are artists who can really nail out pages, and then there are artists that can't. But again, that's a scheduling thing more than anything else. If if your series is a series of mini series or you have breaks in it, like Fiona Stables on on uh Saga. God damn it. Saga. I was gonna say Saga. Fables for some reason. Um Fiona Stables on Saga. There's a couple of months break in between each story arc, but we accept it because it's fucking Fiona Staples and it's her book. Yeah, you know? that we're in a fucking break right now with that. Yeah, I know, but it's <laughs> But it's okay because when it comes back, yeah. it's gonna be Fiona Staples on it again, and that's that's sort of the important thing. Marvel has resources. It it always kind of bugs me when Marvel thinks that they should be able to have the same successes as smaller companies, but don't feel like they should invest in the way that smaller companies do. Like smaller companies like Boom and IDW, they put their asses on the line to make those books happen. And Marvel, yeah. Marvel has the ability to do it without putting their asses on the line. I mean, I know they've got stakeholders, and I know that they've got Disney above them telling them what to do. But you can fund a lot of shit based off of their Star Wars sales alone. Yep. And so Marvel should be a place that can experiment, but experiment smartly. You know, and it's like, oh, well, we want to introduce a, a Squirrel Girl book. Okay, well, maybe... Think about who your audience is. Is your audience for Squirrel Girl going to be the same people who pick up an old man Logan? Probably not. Is it going to be the same people who pick up New Avengers? No. No, unless it's the Squirrel Girl that's been in the Avengers titles as the babysitter for Luke Cage and Jessica Jones. But this Squirrel Girl looks like she's aimed towards the Tumblr crowd. Let's try to get the comic out 
where the Tumblr crowd is going to see it. Let's publish it online first. Let's do a few issues, put them in the can for free, and put it out there for people to see it, you know, for that audience to find it. And then we can lead them back either to our own digital marketplace or comiXology or lead them into the stores. Say, hey, this comic you've been getting, now we're going to do a regular series of it, go into the stores and buy it. But don't just put that shit out there to the regular Marvel audience and expect the regular Marvel audience to buy it or for the Tumblr audience to find it without being led to it. And Marvel has the ability to make something like that actually happen. It's like how we've said for years that comics don't advertise on TV or during cartoons or any of the places where you think, hey, I should see an ad for a fucking DC comic here while I'm watching Justice League, but I don't. So if I'm a kid watching Justice League or Teen Titans for the first time, I have no idea that those things exist in comic books. What the fuck? They can do that. We need them to do that. They need to do that. Yeah, definitely. Um, So I think that's going to wrap it up here for us, um, mainly because we are going long on time and I'm looking I told you, my dog. we're going to talk some shit. We're going to talk oh, no, some yeah, shit about yeah. yeah. And that's fine. I mean, um, you want to know who that person is who reads both Squirrel Girl and Old Man Logan? He's your co-host. Well, you're big on Tumblr. <laughs> no, I'm just big. And in the garage. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> but we're going to let you guys know that you guys can leave us a voicemail. Um, at 805-328-3966 or email us mail at elsnerds.com. All subscription options and links can be found over at gncast.com slash subscribe. You can join our Facebook page over at facebook.com slash galactic netcasts. You could follow the show and the network on Twitter at elsnerds and at galactic netcasts. Beatmasters on Twitter at beatmaster80. Um, Evan is at mr underscore fusion. I'm at that Gregor. Corey, where can people find you and all the things? When I'm not talking about when I'm not talking shit about other people's comics, uh, I make some or I at least help publish some. Go to donestcomics.com, see the works of Levi Krauss and friends, and sometimes me. And the last thing to be said is this has been a Don't Tell Glenn production. We will see you guys next week. Or else I'm gonna rant again. This has been a Galactic Network podcast. For more, go to GNCast.com. That's G-N-C-A-S-T-S dot com.